welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, stop me if you've heard this one before, but the Patriots are Super Bowl champions. Julian Edelman is another player who probably deserves to be in the Hall of Very Good and probably didn't even deserve to win the MVP. And with me this week to stand on his tippy toes and all relevant Instagram posts, it's David Newman. Well, hello. Hey. I'm insulted now. What? Right off the bat. But I'm associating it with Trent Taylor. I feel like that's a compliment. Whatever. I'm not getting those checks. If if you haven't seen it, uh, Trent Taylor, he has an Instagram post with George Kittle where he is on his tippy toes because everyone else (laughs) in that picture is six foot or taller. And he is decidedly not. And so he's on his tippy toes and George Kittle posts. Yeah. And George Kittle posts a picture and in in the Instagram comments, he says, uh, you're supposed to crop out the feet. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty great. Uh, it, it's it's pretty hilarious. Those two are. I think uh, so. I posted it on Twitter. I took a, I, I stole the content from George Kittle's Instagram and then posted it to Twitter. Someone stole that image and posted it to Reddit, and I felt the indignity of stolen content uh, that I myself stole, which yeah. was irrelevant to me. But was for that, that for that moment, it was tough. It, it was, was tough. tough. Someone else got all the karma for that on Reddit. You and get I that was, internal satisfaction. You know, you know, I, yeah. you know inside. I have, I have a little up arrow inside of my heart, <laughs> where the heart once was. It's just, you know, it's on, on the within side. <laughs> but lo, so the other news is that you finished Harry Potter this week, finally. Uh, correct. Yeah. Am, am I a little late on that? Is is that kind of come and gone? Maybe a just bit. a bit. Uh, so, well, I'm I'm half tempted to like record at the end of this, just like 15 minutes of your Harry Potter takes, and then post it as a bonus episode next week. <laughs> This, this. I mean, it probably would be best uh, at the end of the episode as opposed to now because uh, people are probably less likely to want to listen to that. And so at least if it's at the end, we can put that, uh, you know, kind of like right up front that like, hey, the football stuff's over now and we're now just we going to bullshit get to the about. Stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Exactly. So let's get to the rundown. Uh, top stories of the week. Of course, it's the Super Bowl. And I think ultimately that Super Bowl was very boring. But it could still be very interesting, and I think both things can be true. I thought it was a very interesting game for the Patriots and for the Rams, but it was still boring as a holy get-out to watch. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, as far as like watching the game live and just from a pure entertainment standpoint, uh, yeah, there, there wasn't a whole lot there, right? You had bad quarterback play really on both sides. I mean, Brady was be- a bit better in the second half, of course, but uh, I mean, really on the whole, like that wasn't the level of quarterback play that you typically like to see in a game like that. And uh, yeah, just, you know, a, a lot, not a lot happening, just kind of no, a, exactly. pretty, pretty much a slog, not a whole lot of red zone trips, not, yep. not even points where there, it wasn't like there was a, a lot of great defensive plays, right. That were right. exciting to watch too. It was just kind of, just ho-hum, boring yeah. football for a lot of it, you know? Highlights from the game. Uh, the Who Were It Better tweet, Adam Levine or a Chipotle bag. was one of my personal favorites. I mean, the Adam Levine memes in general, um, which, by the way, holy shit, that dude cannot sing. No. Like, it's not... Like, I didn't well, expect he, he that can, bad. He can sing, but the problem is people... It's hard to sing when you're like running around and trying to do stuff, and I mean that's that's challenging for anyone, sure, uh, let but... alone someone who is you know probably not at the top of their vocal game. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> um, to put it lightly. So you get to I think one of the big takeaways from the game is that in the battle of importance between coverage and pressure, this is another feather in the coverage cap because Goff was pressured quickly in just under 2.5 seconds on just 12% of passes. He was able to get some time, but he wasn't remarkably efficient, and he wasn't remarkably efficient because, well, 
New England's defensive backs are really good, and the coverage on the back end was very, very good. Uh, friend of the pod, PFF George, uh, he had a really good tweet uh, this last week. He talked about Jared Goff, and he said that Jared Goff was clean an average of 2.9 seconds per dropback in the Super Bowl. That's tied for highest this season. The Rams averaged just 4.7 yards per pass play, their second lowest total of the season. So Jared Goff had time, but even when he had time, they still were remarkably inefficient, and that's because of the strength of coverage. And so I think that when you're looking about the, the value judgment of edge pressure versus coverage, coverage wins out again, and I think the Super Bowl bears that out. Again, not to say that edge pressure is not important and doesn't matter. It's just that those two things are really, really important, and coverage just a bit more so. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I generally hate the like thing that everybody does where they kind of take one takeaway from this one single game that just happens to be the final game of the season and kind of blow it out of proportion, right? Is in terms of its relative importance over the cross of the, the rest of the league, right? And the rest of these games. And uh, I, I think sometimes people get a little bit carried away with that. But I think this is, yeah, I mean, if you're going to, this is something that, you know, we've been talking about for, uh, you know, a little bit now and, and talking about how coverage uh, maybe, you know, they're both very important. Pass defense in general is the most important thing you can do defensively. Um, but having a better coverage unit, you know, just might be the better way to build a team, which is, uh, I think, counter to the way that football people have generally gone about things, right? And and believed in the past. I think, you know, you always look at pass rush as being the, the big thing. But in this game, you know, you had one team with the dominant pass rush in, uh, in the Rams, and then you had the Patriots, who were more of a dominant coverage team, right? Uh, Trey Flowers, really their only kind of notable yeah. pass rusher, and, and they really do a lot more schematically to generate pressure as opposed to having, uh, you know, dominant individual players. And, you know, obviously the Rams are the complete opposite. Donald Sue uh, on the interior there going crazy. And, and so it was just, I think, an illustration of how you can scheme around pressure, right? You can you can do things schematically and, and within your game plan to be able to to neutralize pressure to a degree. Uh, you at the end of the day, if if the other team can play tight man coverage, there's nothing you can do about that. I think it's it's diff it, to me this wasn't an instance of you take the one learn from the Super Bowl and all of a sudden extrapolate it to be some kind of axiom. This was something that was there and it's been there and I think is true. And I think this was just another proof point as opposed yeah. to kind of like taking one thing from the Super Bowl and magnifying it. The thing that got magnified was that defense is suddenly uh, is back, uh, right? Is right. It, it isn't all about offense and, and defense is back and this game proves it. Like that's the thing that got carried away with. It's like, come on, you're going to let this one game right. uh, change what happened over the course of an entire season and what's been happening for years and years. They were right? still the so. top four offenses and, and that was still important, I think, this year. I think... The the part for me that and we've talked about this specific thing before, but when an edge rusher is successful, when he defeats a block, he can still be neutralized by a good quarterback. And Brady really neutralized the Rams pass rush by getting the ball out quickly in this game. But when a defensive back makes a really good uh, play and he wins his rep, so to speak, you end up with Stefan Gilmore getting an interception or you end up with McCordy just basically bawling out of his mind and and basically stopping a touchdown and getting a broken up pass. And those are, are more valuable as individual plays uh, when that defensive back is successful than uh, uh, someone who's rushing the quarterback who can kind of be neutralized even if they defeat that block right away, right off the snap. Yeah, and, and I, you know, again, there's even things that you can do uh, to, to prevent them getting a lot of opportunities to beat 
one-on-one blocks to begin with, right? So, I mean, you're talking about being able to send help uh, toward, toward guys, you know, being able to chip and the impact that that has, like just getting a piece of a guy with a tight end or with a back or even a receiver that's kind of at the edge of the box there, uh, chipping an edge defender like that really limits his ability to ultimately get pressure on that snap. And uh, when you look at interior guys, right, it's the ability to slide protection that direction. So you make sure that you get multiple offensive linemen that are there to be able to help on somebody like that. So, uh, and then, yeah, even if, even if all of those things don't work and you know, they, the, the pass rusher still gets free, then of course, yeah, you can get the ball out of your hand quickly and uh, you know, prevent him from having an opportunity to impact the play. So there's just a lot of things. Again, they're both important. It doesn't have to necessarily be an either or situation. Uh, but I think if, if you have to pick one and I think a lot of teams do, right, you have a limited number of resources uh, to be able to go out there and build your team with. And, and a lot of times you do have to, prioritize certain things, uh, I, I definitely think there is a good argument for prioritizing coverage over pass rush. Do you think that the the skill set of a good coverage defender is more plentiful than um, than an edge defender? Because I feel like it's, it's kind of really difficult to nail that Von Miller or Miles Garrett kind of player, right? And, so, and that's not to say that you can find a shutdown corner everywhere, right? But the, the Prince of Mukamaras of the world, who are, are good coverage defenders, I feel like that skill is a bit more plentiful. Uh, I would actually go the other way. I think the thing that makes this a little bit tricky is so coverage may be more valuable, but it is easier to project pass rushing, right? So one of the things that we found, especially within uh, our PFF data is basically behind what the stuff that we're doing with quarterbacks, like what we've been able to do from a pass rushing standpoint has been probably the most valuable thing that we've been able to gather. And, And we found that we can really project that stuff relatively well compared to, you know, again, with the NFL, like there's always uh, that kind of caveat that it's hard to project most of anything just because of the limited sample relative to other sports. But that is up there in terms of, uh, you know, kind of our ability and what we know about pass rushers to be able to find those guys. And uh, so I think it's, yeah, you're looking at that from a draft perspective, right, coming up and we're not going to get too far down that road yet but uh it's it's tough because okay you'd like to say coverage is more important and therefore i would like to go for a coverage defender say with that first pick but it's easier you can feel more confident with the pass rusher right if you have the right pass rusher there that that pass rusher is actually going to be an impact player whereas it's a little more hit or miss when it comes to coverage defenders and i think the big reason that is is because you have more uh, significant plays with line of scrimmage players, right? So a cornerback may only see, you know, what, 75, 80 significant snaps, you know, of all the plays that they're playing of where the ball comes their way. And, and you really get to evaluate what they're doing on that play. Whereas, you know, if you're a pass rusher, you're defensive lineman, you're getting hundreds of those snaps over the course of a season. So you just have more to go on. And so your I sample think little, size is yeah, larger. Yeah, by it, definition. It's easier to project. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, another friend of the pod had a good tweet, which I thought kind of uh, not necessarily encapsulated, but is, is a good nugget or a good way of, of kind of distilling the point. But Jordan Plocker said, you draft coverage players and you scheme pressure. Uh, I don't think that's to say that you don't draft a, a pressure player every now and again, but it's an interesting thought. I think that if, if it is indeed true that coverage is more valuable, then you want your best players in that area of the field, and then you can scheme pressure around other players. So that's the Super Bowl. Uh, it was boring, but still very interesting. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, now it's, it's on to the part that the Niners do best. 
Let's talk about this offseason. Offseason what? That's right. Uh, top story this offseason, uh, franchise Robbie Gold. Yes oh or no? Oh, God. <laughs> I couldn't even believe you put this in there. Like, uh, I put it in there I, I was like, just to annoy you. I was but like, I should knew- I just fucking delete this? I'm going to delete it off the agenda, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's an absurd notion to franchise a kicker. Get the hell out of here with I, your th- franchise kicker. This is, I mean, like the Vance McDonald rant, uh, the Earl Mitchell rant. I mean, there there are Newman rants in the pantheon of the better rivals history. We haven't quite gotten one from about kickers yet, but I'm waiting. Because they're one. not even important enough to get like <laughs> riled up about, really. I mean, it's just. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's more so that the, the the idea that somebody would seriously bring this up as like a real option. Uh, I think that's the more alarming part. That like, it's it's ridiculous. Like, look, it doesn't matter. I mean, we've talked before. Uh, I feel like it uh, different points because the 49ers, for whatever reason, have always uh, at least while we've been doing this, like have like a veteran kicker, right? Yeah. That maybe gets paid a little Phil bit Dawson, more than like Robbie and, Gold. Yeah. And, well, it's and, because they were usually the highest scoring player on the team because everyone oh else was God, crappy yeah, around them. can't do anything offensively. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just like there's uh, kickers are all like across the board so good at this point that there's just not a lot of differentiating between them. And uh, season to season, like field goal percentage fluctuates wildly. And there's very few players that have shown the ability to, to be consistently high. And it's not even like Robbie gold is coming off one of those seasons where you'd say like, man, he added a ton of value this year. Right. Uh, he, like, yes, he had a high field goal percentage. I think he had a tied for the league lead in field goal percentage. 97. But like, um, the wide majority of those kicks were under 40 yards. He had a league high, 23 kicks under 40, only kicked two from beyond 50. Like, the the under 40 kicks everybody should be making like the conversion rate on those is absurdly high uh you get zero points for making those kicks right from i mean the, at this point uh, an extra point is what like a 32 with yeah, and he missed field two goal? extra points so yeah. you know it's like uh, again so he's getting a lot of short kicks that basically everybody's going to make uh he's not out there booting 50 plus yarders on a, on a regular basis and and really adding points in a scenario where you know the offense might not have had a chance to get them he's not like a justin tucker per se or someone that is going to have the leg for 50 yards and, and adds a bit of value in that regard but i think to your point about field goal percentage varying wildly uh season to season even with one player we forget robbie gold got cut from chicago chicago yeah. didn't just say like yeah you're really good robbie gold but we don't want to pay you he w- had a terrible season and he bounced around to another team and then came to the 49ers and has now become kind of career renaissance Robbie Gold, right? Uh, I think with good field goal kickers, if they have a down year, you kind of just stick with them and then they hope you hope they rebound and then off you go. Yeah, it's just understanding that there's a lot of variance at that. I mean, even, you know, you look at somebody like Adam Vinatieri, who like by all accounts might be the greatest kicker of all time, right? Or at, le- at least is considered among that group. And uh, you look at his field goal percentage year to year and it's like, yeah, there's a lot of good ones in there, but there's some down ones where he was kind of middle of the pack and it just kind of bounces up and down. And that's what you see with basically every single, single kicker. And so uh, to say that we're going to franchise tag a guy who wasn't even necessarily all that great to begin with, uh, and we're going to make him the highest paid kicker, like you, it's just not north of $5 million. Yeah. I mean, think about what you could do with $5 million. And I know the Niners have a lot of cap space. Um, but even if they were to sign another kicker for like 3 million, that extra $2 million, you can put lots of other places. You can use that to help offset someone like Eric Armstead's contract, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I mean, the, the money is, is there sure, but you don't want to make poor decisions with that money just because you can. Yeah. It's just not a wise use of resources. And, uh, I think that like being willing to even make decisions like that just shows, 
uh, a lack of understanding as to like what you should actually be devoting resources to in building your football team. But happier news, Wes Welker is indeed going to be a 49ers coach. It looks like he's going to assume the wide receivers coach role. Uh, and that means that Mike LaFleur, current pass game coordinator and wide receivers coach, will uh, be allowed to continue on his special projects. And honestly, for me, I think this is a move with future looking uh, kind of potential where you think Mike LaFleur is going to leave maybe next year to take the OC job somewhere, which he had bites to do this year, but because he wasn't going to get play calling duties, uh, Shanahan didn't let him leave. And because it wasn't really a promotion of sorts, but if that's the case and teams know that, then he's probably going to get some interviews to actually call plays next year. And now you're going to have a void better to have someone like Walker and now to work with LaFleur, see what Shanahan wants, and then have someone who can step in seamlessly and fill in some of the role that LaFleur has. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we, we mostly hit on this last week and, and I don't know that there's a ton else to add. Like he's going to come in, he's going to work with receivers and uh, you know, hopefully that's a thing that he should know pretty well. And uh, he can help out the kind of young group of players that they have there. And I think that's really about all there is to it at this point. I want to send a lunch pail and a hard hat with Walker's number on it to the, to four, nine, four, nine centennial. Just because. I mean, he's, you know, he's got the protege there. He's ready. I mean, he's going to teach him how exactly to get on his tippy toes in pictures and not get noticed uh, and how to, I guess, breed Kentucky Derby horses because apparently Wes Walker has horses that he races. Yeah, he also like gets high as balls at some of those races <laughs> and then uh, all of a sudden gets, you know, maybe some photos taken that yep. he might not want it out there. So, exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to the final tier of our roster model evaluation because what we're going to do this week is talk about the tier one players, the core players, the players that you build a roster around. And then we're going to talk about some larger takeaways from the overall roster modeling that we've done and what the focus areas are going to be for free agency and the draft. So a reminder that this is the third in the roster model series. So if you haven't listened to the other two episodes, I would definitely recommend going back and listening to those. Uh, you are listening to us right now. So chances are, you know how to internet. Uh, but in case you are listening with a friend and doing that weird split your headphones thing, uh, you can download us like on Spotify, on TuneIn, on iTunes, on, well, I guess it's Apple Podcasts specifically. Sure. We've been told by the uh, bosses above that it's Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Damn it. Damn branding right. Damn it. Uh, so find us anywhere that you internet and, and listen to those other twos because we, we are talking about tier one core players. And or I'm not going to spend time defining the other ones because if yeah, you're here, go back and re- you can. I mean, you even have last year's episodes if you want. Probably correct. an even more in depth breakdown of of the tiers. We spent yeah. a lot of time on it. We're last getting year. to the good stuff. But let's talk about those tier one players. There are four players in this tier this year. There were three last year. This year's group loses one, <laughs> Reuben Foster. Thanks, bro. Uh, and adds two from uh, adds two new players. So let's talk about first the existing players, and that's still going to be uh, Jimmy GQ in our hearts, Jimmy Garoppolo. So I, I mean, there's not a lot to really talk about with him, right? I mean, a lot of the stuff that we talked about last year uh, is is still we're we're still at the same point, right? We didn't learn really anything new in in the limited amount of time that we got from him uh, this season, and so I think a lot of the questions, you know, a lot of the things that we thought that he did well, right? The accuracy, being able to throw to the, the intermediate level, and and being able to process things quickly, being able to make plays out of structure, like all of the great things that we liked from his five games. 
uh, you know, when he was first brought to the team, uh, it, it are all still things that we like. And then all of the things that we were kind of waiting to see, you know, of whether he could sustain it for a full season, whether he could make more plays uh, on throws down the field, you know, things like that, like those questions are all still there. So I think right now, we know that we feel pretty good about him and uh, you know, quarterback being far and away the most important position on your roster. That's what lands him here. Um, but I think largely, yeah, we're at the exact same spot we were a year ago when we were talking about Jimmy in this tier. I, I did an article on Nick Mullins and some of the takeaways from the, the quarterback annual that was done by pro football focus this year. And one of the things that was noted about Mullins was that he was even though he had a, a relatively high or a relatively okay completion percentage, his his actual accuracy wasn't all that great. Uh, and especially when you're in that intermediate area of the field, that 10 to 19 yards, his accuracy plummeted. It was awful. Uh, and, and that's where Jimmy Garoppolo really shined or shone, shoned, shined, shined, shunned. I don't know. I don't know. Make uh, <laughs> but that's where he really excelled last year. And, and that's where a lot of Shanahan's offense really likes to play. And so when you're thinking about the, the player that is tailor-made for Shanahan's offense, it's going to be Garoppolo because he excels at the throws, the difficult throws, and in the area of the field where Shanahan really is going to scheme people open because uh, Mullins was good the closer he was to the line of scrimmage when he was throwing footballs. <laughs> Me too. So we've got that in common. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think uh, you know we, we saw that even though they can still put out a competent offense pretty much as long as Kyle Shanahan's there, right? They're not going to be a bottom of the league offense, yeah. uh, kind of no matter who they put out there at quarterback, really, I, I think. Um, and so you have that and that kind of, you know, this season with Beathard and Mullins kind of proved that, but uh, it obviously is something that has kind of been taken to another level when Garoppolo's in there. And it's because of the more high level stuff that he can do. Again, it's just about, seeing whether he can actually sustain that for the long haul is, is really all we're waiting for there. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan creates the floor for the offense. And yeah, exactly. a player a player as talented as Jimmy Garoppolo can help elevate that, which is why a team like the Niners in 2017 could win as many games as they did. And when you have a player like Mullins or Beathard, you may stay near the floor. Luckily, that floor is still pretty good because right. Kyle Shanahan is good. But it's not necessarily that Mullins is going to go to Jacksonville and light the world on fire. Yeah, nobody's uh, beating down their door trying to get Nick Mullins in no. as their starter. Yeah, that that's the one thing I think that is probably, um, if there's one area where I think Niners fans are generally a little, probably delusional, is in the compensation that they think that we're going to be able to get for someone like Beathard or Mullins. That compensation yeah, is close cares. to zero. Uh, yeah, nobody, nobody cares about <laughs> yeah, them. They're, they're not good. Uh, they are, you know perhaps competent backups in uh you know what I think is a so. very good offensive scheme but they are uh th- there are no shortage of mediocre backup quarterbacks out there right that's what most of them uh kind of coming into the league end up being uh nobody cares about them yeah i think that, that that's exactly right they are uh competent backups and that's still a quasi valuable thing to have in today's that. NFL. yeah i mean you need something you need somebody back there yeah him. exactly so that's that's exactly where we're at there but deforest buckner is the other player in this tier that is repeating deforest buckner is one of the most productive interior pass rushers in the league finished the year with 12 sacks that's uh that's a good number. Sacks, hooray. Exactly. Uh, that's the best way to measure pass rushers, right? No, yep. I think um you know, when you look at him over the last two seasons, I mean his rookie year was uh you know, was very solid, but really it's over the last two years. 
um, as a pass rusher, he has been, you know, one of the best in the league. You look at his pass rush grade over those two seasons, seventh best among interior defenders, has the sixth highest win rate. So just that, the amount of times that he's beating the blocker in front of him, regardless of whether that generates pressure or not for reasons that we talked about right at the beginning of the podcast. Um, and, and so he is, as a pass rusher, one of the best interior players, I think, in the league. You know, I this year, even though the sacks were up significantly, I think it was actually a little bit lower quality season for him than, than the second season. But uh, again, still very good and uh, has been incredibly consistent, reliable, you know, plays a, a ton of snaps uh, for, for them out there and, and really hasn't missed any time. So I think, uh, yeah, he does a valuable thing, which is rush the passer and he is always out there and available to do that. And there's nothing to indicate that this is a flash in the pan or something that's going to go away sometime soon. For sure. His pressure rate has been relatively consistent. He has a high number. uh, He has a high sample size because he's got a lot of pass rush snaps. I mean, one year he played over a thousand snaps on defense, which is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, his first his first season was over a thousand. Last two, he's fallen in the kind of like the mid 800s or so. Which is and, and you want him ideally if the Niners have a solid defensive line rotation to be like in the 650s, 700s. Yeah, the only two play. So uh, over the last two seasons, when I was kind of pulling this stuff up the only two players who have played more snaps as interior linemen uh in the league in that that span uh is aaron donald and dominican sue so that's that's it checks out yeah up there yeah so deforest buckner returning player in tier one uh and he would probably easily be the best player on the 49ers if it were not for the next player that we're going to talk about he's the most sure thing i think that's the best way to put it he is more than any other player on this roster the thing that we know and can count on he's the known quantity yes uh but then you've got new additions to tier one uh, and that's going to be well george kittle what up the love affair continues uh he's at this point pretty much everyone's favorite 49er i mean he he's he's awesome he's amazing and he's a really really uh he's a really fun human being but he turned in a top 10 receiving season for a tight end uh since 2006 and he did it with uh all of the wonderful quarterbacking that we were talking about just a couple of minutes yeah. ago as i called it uh rotating crap uh <laughs> is basically what they had at quarterback this season and <laughs> it's uh, like in the friends episode crap bag <laughs> if you can't think of it just if you can't remember it just think of a bag of crap <laughs> Uh, I mean, that was, yeah, I mean, not an incorrect description of the quarterback play that they had this year. But uh, I think, yeah, for him to be able to put in that sort of kind of elite caliber season at tight end and do it with the quarterback play that he had, I mean, really the level of play that he was at, and and this is not even going, I mean, didn't even mention, right, that he set the tight end record for receiving yards in a season like I don't even really care about that. The actual level of play that got him to that number uh, is, you know, the level of play that we've seen from elite tight ends over the last decade. The guys like Gronkowski, maybe not quite peak Gronk, but, you know, a lot of Gronkowski seasons were very similar to kind of what we saw from Kittle. Guys like Kelsey, guys like Gates when he was playing really well, guys like Jimmy Graham when he was playing really well. So, like, that was the type of season that he had here. And to do that in kind of the offense you all those other guys you mentioned were generally doing it on very productive good offenses with quality quarterback play right uh it, that was not the case for him so i think that was uh obviously very very encouraging to see uh in in year two from him and i think unlike players like jimmy graham who were an absolute liability in the run game he doesn't ever need to come off the field because he's also a ridiculously effective run blocker and, and that's i think probably the piece that shanahan likes about him well shanahan probably likes the gaudy yardage numbers and yards after the catch but in addition he loves not having to take him off the field because he is an effective blocker there is about one or two blocks every week where he's just pushing some poor dude out of frame 
Uh, and, and that is exactly the kind of player that you want. And he's spoken a lot about how he plays angry and how he feels like he's got a lot of fight in him. And he bailed his quarterback out a whole hell of a lot. I mean, you, you think of everything that a lot of what Nick Mullins was able to do in terms of his overall yardage numbers, which is what people will point to when they say Nick Mullins is good. They'll say, look at his yardage numbers. He's got the fourth most yards uh, for, for a quarterback in his first eight starts. Okay, cool. But how much of that was yards after the catch? And how much of that was because George Kittle took a 15-yard pass where he was schemed the hell wide open and then took that to the house because people could not adjust to his speed because he's so ridiculously athletic. That's not a Nick Mullins thing. That's an amazing scheme and an amazing tight end. And, And George Kittle, I think, is exactly that. Definitely. I think the one question with him in this tier is really is the positional value high enough? It's kind of similar to the conversation we had last year with Ruben Foster, right? It's it's not really a position that you would typically see. And you know, when we talked about these tiers, we talked about how it's, it's going to be premium positions are usually what's going to fill this tier up, right? Because it's the players who have the most impact on whether you're winning and losing games. And, and so I think... And for the uninitiated, we, we've talked about premium positions before, but if you're new to the podcast, it's basically going to be quarterback, edge, corner or, or coverage defender mm-hmm. uh, and pass protector, namely tackles Tackle. more so than interior. Yeah. And, and so I think with looking at those positions, right. And, and then you look to some of the lower level ones and tight end, I think maybe a tad undervalued, right. I think we've uh, kind of started to find uh, George. I know we talked about that with him, I believe in, in one of the off season pods uh, leading up to the year was, you know, effectively how, middle of the field pass game stuff is kind of this undervalued thing right now. And and they, those players don't necessarily get paid like premium players, but the impact that it's having on today's NFL is, uh, is, is kind of outsized compared to what they're getting paid. So I think with him, ultimately he, what lands him there for me is that he is so good at that. What may not be a premium position, right? Uh, he, you have to, in order to be there, it's the same thing with Foster. You had to be one of the best players, I think at that position. And again, it's only one year. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that we'll regret that after, you know, looking back on this next year, but I think it's worth pointing out that, you know, you have one year of this, not a premium position, but ultimately he was so good at doing this thing that it's, it's kind of worth having him in here. Yeah. And for me, I think part of it was, yes, he was one of the, you know, two best tight ends, I think this year overall, But I also think that when we think of premium positions, the reason they're premium is because of their effect in the passing game. And that's where George Kittle is remarkably effective. So for me, even though he is, it doesn't play a traditionally, you know, premium position, he still is someone who deserves to be in that tier because he affects the passing game in a very, very real way. He's someone that in the passing game, people have to account for much like they do Kelsey, uh, which is the other tight end. I thought that played out of his mind this year. And it's Uh, shown that, you know, it's not, He's not completely, I mean, all receivers to a degree are quarterback dependent, but again, being able to to produce at that level, having the quarterbacks that he did, I mean, is is about as showing as quarterback independent as you can possibly be, right? Now, speaking of premium positions, the other player in this tier is going to be Mike McGlinchey. He is rookie tackle for the 49ers. He's a player that, well, he had a good but not great rookie season. Um, but I think, again, when you're talking about premium position, this is a player that really was one the Niners had to nail. If they were going to, you know, and, and they took a risk, right? They traded Trent Brown, who uh, wasn't, I think, 
nostalgia has kind of marred a little bit of what the Niners consider Trent Brown and like, oh my God, he's amazing. How, like, how good people are talking about him that, that he played this year has been completely overblown. Yeah, yeah. He, he is in New England what he was in San Francisco. He is a better pass blocker than he is run blocker. Um, and he does have the ability to stone some of the, you know, kind of better pass rushers. And he did that in San Francisco as well. Um, but he's not some kind of all world tackle all of a sudden. Yeah. Very good player, but, yeah. uh, yeah, not, not like one of the best tackles in the league. And I do think it was a risk for the Niners to, to trade him away and to draft McGlinchey who, sure. you know, a projection is, is never certain, but if you were going to project McGlinchey to the pros, he was going to be someone who was going to come in and be a good run blocker and needed to develop maybe a little bit of the pass blocking skills. And that's exactly what a season was like his rookie year. He was, I think, second overall in PFF grade in terms of run blocking. Uh, and that includes the travesty of him playing guard uh, in uh, against the Vikings. And he was a not nearly as good pass blocker. But if you're looking at a player that impacts the passing game or plays a premium position, and he is very, very good. And I would say that he's already among some of the best tackles. And that's exactly what the Niners needed to do with that pick. Yeah, I think, it, again, it is uh, important to point out that he wasn't phenomenal from the get-go, right? He wasn't, and, and again, nobody's trying to argue that he was bad or that this was a bad decision or anything like that, but I think it needs to be pointed out that, like, he was a good, not great tackle in year one, which is fine. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at some of the other rookie tackle seasons, uh, that at least that we have, you know, going back to 2006, uh, with the grades we have there, it, it was on par with some very good tackles and what they did in their rookie year, right? It was very similar to Joe Staley's rookie grade, uh, very similar to Mitchell Schwartz, Lane Johnson, what they did their rookie season. So uh, very good. It was like a top, I think, uh, I want to say it was like 22nd in terms of highest graded seasons for a rookie tackle. So very good. Uh, he wasn't, you know, like I think it's important to say he's not Joe Thomas coming out of here, right? Like he's not uh, one of the best in the league already. There are things that he needs to still improve. So I don't think it would be uh, completely shocking to look back on this and maybe like, okay, maybe we pushed him up there too soon. But I think considering what he was in college, uh, what he showed in year one and kind of the progression uh, from college to, to, to a rookie, like I think you feel good about where he's going uh, over his career and you feel good enough to go ahead and, and put him there because the 49ers, you know, one need him to be there, but he's going to be around. He's going to be a very important piece of, of this team going forward. He does have a couple of, of whiffs and they happen way more in the earlier part of the year that, that did kind of worry me where I'm like that you're just getting over your feet too easily and getting completely washed out of the play or not really washed out of the play, but the defender's just going to go right by him. Um, and that reduced over the course of the year. And I think he did play, quite a bit better as the year went on. Uh, and so if he's able to continue that trajectory, I think he's already very, very good in the run game. And he allowed the Niners to be ambidextrous with their run, which I think is what what Kyle Shanahan probably wanted out of a tackle. And it's one of the reasons that Trent Brown is not here is because you could basically only run the outside zone to Staley's side, and you couldn't necessarily do that to the other side when you had someone as big of a human as Trent Brown was. Um, so I think that he does what the team wants him to. He's a great scheme fit and, and he plays a, a position of value. And I'm curious if, you know, Joe Staley's talked a little bit about, you know, kind of coming back for one more year on, on Mayoko's podcast and what happens if Staley doesn't come back after another year. Um, do you move him over to the left side? Um, but even the fact that you can entertain that discussion with improves, I think, his value. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it wouldn't be an issue at all to move him to the left side. I think 
uh, knowing NFL teams, I think still kind of place a little bit more of a premium on the left side than, than they do the right. Uh, they would probably move him over. I mean, he was a left tackle in college, right? That's where he played at Notre Dame. So uh, yeah, I think he absolutely can move over there once Joe Staley leaves. Uh, I think it just depends on, uh, you know, whether that's the move to make, it's going to depend on their situation at the time that Staley leaves and who that other tackle is, right? Who the, the other guy that they get to bring in. If you bring in another guy that is far more comfortable at left tackle, then I think you can plug that guy in left, leave McGlinchey on the right. You need two good tackles. Like the, the idea that the left is so much more important than the right side is just uh, not accurate a- anymore. Like there's plenty of really, really good pass rushers that come on the left side uh, of or, the defense. Or they just get moved there. Yeah, they get moved there. You guys that move around. But I mean, some of the best pass rushers in the league rush almost exclusively from the left side of the defense going up against that right tackle. Like th- th- this isn't, again, like the 70, 80s NFL where you need the left tackle because that's where the dominant pass rusher is, right? Because you're lining up in these same basic ass formations that puts the weak side over on the left against the left tackle. Like that's not how it works anymore. You need two good tackles. Uh, if you find another guy, you know, when Staley leaves, it's better at left tackling his right tackle than you leave McGlinchey where it is. All right. So that's the, that's the top tier. We've got two newcomers. We've got two uh, people who have been there before. One person is still, uh, they, they received the incomplete on the grading, I guess, because you know, it's hard to get graded when you don't have a knee, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's tier one. So that's the core. Um, and I think that when you, when you look at the number of players in this, in this tier overall, um, you obviously want there to be more players here, but I think what's important is the the positions of the players that are in that tier. The fact that the Niners have a quarterback in tier one is a good thing. The fact that they have a tackle in that tier is a very good thing. The fact that they have a pass rusher or someone who affects the passing game like DeForest Buckner is good. You want there maybe to be an edge rusher there, um, but I think that having someone who affects the pass game is good. Ideally, you want a corner in this tier. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think the, the notable thing for what you're missing is off on the defense side of the ball, yeah. right? You don't have uh, that third-level defender here, you know, having a cornerback or even even a safety, you take it, you know, if you have a good enough safety in there. Um, or, you know, having that kind of edge pass rusher, I think, are the two clear things that, that you would like to have because those are really, in terms of importance, you know, two and three on the list behind quarterback. So that's the area where you're still looking for kind of that that blue chip player that's really going to be the foundation of your defense. So let's go to the roster takeaways then. What were the big picture items that we took away from this whole roster model? And before we do that, we're going to take just a brief break for some commercials, new things. All right, so I think the first takeaway is going to be that there, like what do you do with the current players that are on your roster that are either free agents or players you have to make a key decision on? Because a lot of the questions on the Niners on the Niners roster are going to be addressed by players that you bring in either in the draft or in free agency. So the first question I think the Niners have to make is, who do you target to re-sign? Do you bring back any pending free agents? So I think this one, uh, you know, and just to quickly kind of run down the list, because there's not a, a ton of them, uh, the players who are pending free agents now going into this offseason, uh, you have Mike Person, Greg Maben, Elijah Lee, Mark... Uh, whatever linebacker worthless. I can't remember how to pronounce his Nizocha, name. Nizocha. <laughs> there you go. Raheem Mostert, Alfred Morris, um, Antoine Exum Jr., Jimmy Ward, and Tyvis Powell. So I think you look at that list and there's not many players on it that you're like, man, we need to keep that guy. Around. There's only one player on that list that is not a tier five player. And that's Mike Person. 
The only other player I think that's likely to return on that list is Raheem Mostert. And that's not because, and he's a tier five player as well. That doesn't mean, again, that he is worthless or has no value, but his skill set is replaceable. And so if he were to leave for some reason, it would not be the end of the world. But he is a restricted free agent. Uh, and that means that the Niners can tender him and get some compensation, um, or they can just sign him to a, to a deal because they have exclusive negotiating rights with him. So he'll probably be back, but it's not like he, you know, it's Raheem Mostert, championship. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think, so I think the names, the most notable names, right, to, to really discuss uh, is to their future. It, of course, you're going to be Jimmy Ward, who we touched on him, uh, what was it, last week, the week before, whenever we were talking about him uh, in whatever tier he landed in, uh, as to whether That's he should five. be back. Uh, Tier five. <laughs> and and I think, yeah, the answer just to kind of summarize is is no. It's time to move on from Jimmy Ward. He's probably going to be better off going elsewhere. Um, you know, just moved him around way too much, had too many injuries to deal with just to get uh, really much in the way of value from him. So I think that part uh, makes a whole lot of sense. And then I think the other one who isn't on that list directly because they did uh, you know, uh, choose to to add the fi- fifth year option to his contract is Eric Armstead, though. So they have up until the start of the league year, which is on March 13th, um, to be able to decide whether they actually want to keep him on that option. Because right? his salary is not guaranteed until the new league year yes. kicks in. So even though they've executed the option, they can still cut him now until then and not be on the hook for any of his salary. And his cap is his cap number would be like I think it's a little over nine, 9 million. million. Yeah. So you have to make a decision on him as to whether he's going to be a player that you want to keep and and have around on this roster. Um, You know, and I think there's a couple ways you can go with him. Obviously you can keep him there for that fifth year option. You can decide to cut him. If you just don't think that he's, you know, part of the long-term plan, you want to use that money elsewhere. Um, Or you, if you do want to keep him around for multiple seasons, there's a chance you can uh, extend him for a couple years and, and kind of lower that cap hit uh, from the 9 million that it is with the option. So I think, you have some some options there to go with. I think, you know, kind of like Ward, even though he's been, I think, a much better player uh, when he's been on there, and I think he does have some value, I kind of think that it's probably best to move on from from him as well. I, I agree with you, and I think that's the likely, I think that's the likely outcome, not just because of his value to the team, but also because if I'm Eric Armstead, I'm playing on that one-year deal because I want to test free agency. Yeah. Why exactly. am I going to sign a two- or three-year deal? Because they're, they're not going to sign him to a five-year you know, DeForest Buckner-level deal. Yeah. So you know that's not coming. So they're going to treat him like a, a, a mid-level free agent. And if I'm going to get treated by like a mid-level free agent, I'm just going to say, cool, I'm going to get my $9 million, and I'm going to hit free agency. And then the Niners are probably going to get outbid by someone, and that's that. So that's probably the likely scenario I think that happens, and I think that's probably best for both sides. Some team's going to pay him, and it'll be great, yeah. and, and it's going to be best for the Niners to move on anyway. So you think, but you think they'll keep him on on the for the option year? I do, I do because I think they have the cap space, and I think it's a one year deal, and I do think that he provides value as a rotational piece. Yeah. Um, and, and so I do think that that's probably something they can do, and and I think it's it's fine. I mean, along the defensive line, you still have unproven pieces when you look at that group as a unit. A lot of them are still tier four players. You've got DJ Jones, who I think is going to be good, but he has only played limited snaps. You've got Julian Taylor, who played okay in some games, but not consistently good across the board. You've got Contavia Street, who's the biggest wild card, but we have no idea what the hell's happening there, and he's coming off of an ACL. So Armstead, I think, offers some stability, 
and you've got the cash this year to ha- to have some stability there. Um, if we've learned anything, it's that not everything goes your way with defensive lines. So not sure. Julian Taylor's not going to be amazing. Andy Jones is not going to be amazing. And Contavious Street's not going to be amazing, right? That's just yeah. not the likelihood of what's going to happen. So you buttress that eventuality a little bit by keeping Armstead. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably the scenario I would like to see happen. I will say I think that the, I would be probably most surprised, though, if he sticks for the option. I think the the two most likely things to me are, one, I think he gets cut, honestly. I, I think... Uh, looking at kind of the free agent class and where you could potentially spend that money, I think there may be better options to go. Because while they do have a lot of cap space, it's they're not quite like the complete flush with a hundred million in cap no. space like they've been in the last couple of years, right? They and do the have money Garoppolo. they rolled over, the money they rolled over is basically earmarked for extensions. Yeah, like that, that's the Forrest Buckner money. Yeah, you have to start now thinking about because they finally do have. I mean, right now they have so few players that are carrying larger cap hits because they don't have very many good players that are worth that kind of money, right? But you do have a couple yeah. guys uh, like Buckner is going to be the big one for sure that you are going to have to think about extending. And I think this is, uh, you know, as we're going to get into over the next couple of weeks, I think this is probably the free agency period where you do have to go out and try to get some more significant pieces to to really help bolster this roster right now. And so I think you could probably better utilize that $9 million at other positions in free agency and, and probably still be okay along the defensive line and not take a huge hit there and just kind of let him walk and enter free agency. Now. Yeah, incidentally, Eric Armstead had the second highest pass rush grade for the 49ers defense uh, for uh, the defensive line behind, well, DeForest Buckner. So what do you do at right guard then? Mike Person is a tier three player. He played well this year. He really stabilized the line on that right side. Uh, but he uh, apparently the rumor uh, or the word on the street from Matt Mayoko, because, you know, dude on the street, uh, is that they're not close to a deal. And so I think Mike Person understands his value to the team. And so he's holding out for Maroney. Good for him. I think every football player should get as much goddamn money as they possibly can. Absolutely. But if he is indeed a tier three player, then that means that while you're looking for a replacement and that replacement might already be on the roster in Josh Garnett. So do you let Person walk and roll the dice with Garnett? Do you try to sign him to a bigger deal at right guard? Or, or, or do you look somewhere else? What the hell do you do? I think I am probably letting person walk and I am going to add another kind of what Mike person was when they added him, right? Like another low cost veteran that you feel good can come in and and be competent, but I need to see what, what there is with Josh Garnett there, right? Like, I think you just have to at least give him the opportunity, right? Like he may not win it and he may just be bad. He may just be a bad player that you need to move on from. But I think that's the direction I go. I I, I don't want to go and give uh you know kind of a mediocre player like person any sort of significant money. I'm going to go find the next one, as is in terms of a veteran. And I think we have to remember with Mike Person, like we he did play a, a good year, I think, and he was a little underrated as a signing. But this is the second time we've been here with this exact position because Brandon Fusco was that player last exactly. year. Yep. And, the, and the Niners brought him in and it was a one-year deal and he helped stabilize that right side. And he didn't play great, but he played okay, got better as the year went on. But the team let him walk. They brought in the next person and that was Mike Person. And literally, they brought in the next person. <laughs> and have we made that pun before? I feel like if we haven't, we've been I, derelict. I mean, not while I've been on here. Oh, yeah, because yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like it needs... To- it needed to have happened. That's correct. Well, it's happening now. We've, we're correcting. We got those. it. That's exactly right. So I think that it's not going... While I I would like to keep good players, I think if they're too far off in terms of contract, then 
yeah, you got you got to find the other one. And I do, I think, want to see what Garnett, uh, what Garnett can do. I think he is more physically gifted, even if he <laughs> still doesn't have the balance to do everything we want him to. But I think you do have to see what what the hell you have in, in someone like uh, your first round pick. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the right move. I mean, I think the other the other major thing that I'm looking at with the current players in the roster, because again, a lot of the major questions we're going to get to over uh, these next several episodes, you know, talking free agency in the draft, because it's going to need to be uh, new players coming in that kind of answer the the biggest questions that they have in this roster. But the other thing that I think I'm uh, going to be very interested over the offseason and kind of more leading up to the start of next season is what the hell they're going to do with DJ Reed and Tavarius Moore. I think you have to figure out a plan for those two players because especially with Moore um, was a guy that you drafted in the third round. And again, you should be expecting production and and snaps from that kind of player, right? You don't take developmental players who are going to sit around on the bench for, for several years at that spot. So I think you, you need to have plans in place. You know, those were both guys that did one thing in college. They got drafted and were told that they're going to do a completely different thing. And whatever it is that you're going to have them do, I think the thing that we've learned from Jimmy Ward and we learned to a degree with Solomon Thomas, right? Like you, you can't keep bouncing these players from position to position and expect them to actually develop and get better and become contributors at that position. You need to define what their role is going to be and let them do that thing and try to get better at it, right? And, and kind of improve in that way. And so I think you, with DJ Reed, you need to slot him in one. Is it going to be as a slot cornerback or as a safety? With more, again, you, you try to play him at outside corner. He was a safety in college. Like he wasn't very good as an outside corner this year. Like, Again, but whatever it is, you need to figure that out and and pick one and let these guys develop. I think if I'm the 49ers, I'm leaving Reed at corner. He played, there wasn't an appreciable difference between how he played at safety or corner, but he did seem to have a a bit more comfortability. He said so after a postgame presser. He said he felt like he was playing something that he was more comfortable in because he played corner in college his entire career, and then he gets to play that in in the pros, and he felt more comfortable. He looked pretty good out there at times uh, when he was playing corner. And, and at, at safety, he didn't always seem to be in the right place. He seemed like, a, you know, he was a rookie learning a new position, getting adjusted to the speed of, of football, and, and then also learning a new position, I think, is difficult. So I would leave him at corner, uh, especially given that's a position the Niners, well, don't have a hell of a lot of help in. And when you look at their kind of tier distribution, it's basically Sherman at tier three, K1 Williams at tier three, and then a bunch of I hopes or terrible. Yeah, um, and, I- and that's not good. <laughs> and then I think when you're, when you're looking at Tarverius Moore, the thing that concerns me the most about him is that he is a third-round pick, physically gifted, sure. But if he couldn't break through and get some significant snaps on this team with this like defensive back roster construction, that's concerning. Yeah, and I think it's concerning at corner, right? Like that was what they like. They didn't really give him an opportunity to do anything else, and it was kind of like they slotted him in as an outside guy. I thought he could make that transition. And, uh, you know, I just don't think through one year. And, and again, it's early. And, and if you're going to stick with him there and, and you think that's a long-term plan, that's fine. And, and I think that's better than kind of doing this flip-flop thing. But I do wonder whether he would be better in that box safety role, you know, and, and be, again, he's a super athletic guy, played more that type of role in college and was very effective at it. I think you can use him. He has the coverage skills, to be able to match up with tight ends and, you know, do some things like that. I don't know that he's as good of a coverage player 
to play on the outside against your best receivers and and be able to hold up well out there. Uh, I just don't know that that's his game. And so I think when you can let him, you know, play in the middle of the field, play closer to the line of scrimmage, be able to to kind of play downhill and zone coverage, right, and, and come up and make tackles on guys, that was the type of stuff that he did really well in college. Uh, and again, it's just the, the one thing we keep learning over and over with this college to pro stuff is let guys do what they did well at college, right? Don't, don't try to change that and make them drastically different players. Uh, it just doesn't work out very well all that often. So when we look at the overall roster construction and we look at key positions to target, what areas then are we going to focus on for the free agent previews and for the draft? And it's really going to be defensive heavy, to be on, to be honest with you. We've talked about positions of value. We've talked about where the 49ers are deficient. And that leads us into cornerback, edge, safety, and linebacker. And based on the positional value of linebacker, we're probably not going to spend a ton of time there, even though we are planning a kind of front seven episode in terms of some prep. So the the other area on offense and that we're going to focus on is going to be a little bit of the wide receiver or pass catcher. Um, and, and while I don't think that the wide receiver position is as dire as many people would say, I think you've got some good developmental talent on the roster already. Uh, even with the loss of Pierre Garçon, I don't think it's dire. Uh, I do think that the, the team could stand to add one offensive weapon because if we learned anything from from the season overall and from kind of the trend of the NFL overall, it's that your offense is going to really sustain what you do over the course of the year, and it's going to be a big part of your success. Yeah, I think the way to look at uh, things on the offensive side of the ball is that the most important addition you're going to make is getting Jimmy Garoppolo back in the lineup. And, and having him paired with Kyle Shanahan, you can largely count on having a, a very effective offense. But you look at some of the best offenses in the league, right? And they do have talented players all across the skill positions. And while I don't think, like you mentioned, that it's dire, like I, I think there are serviceable players there. And I think you have a diverse enough skill set among those receivers that they can kind of all complement each other relatively well. And, and you'll be fine I don't think there's anything wrong with if you have the opportunity to add players who can come in and improve that unit, right? Like the the number one thing that you can do to help yourself be a, a consistent winner is to upgrade your pass offense. The, the better your pass offense is, the better off that you are going to be. Easier you can make things for your quarterback. Um, you know, the better all of the Kyle Shanahan stuff works because you have better talent there, right? So if you can improve that area, and I think, yeah, the area that you you really look to, I think running back is going to be fine. Uh, getting McKinnon back there and pairing him with Breed, I think you could look at maybe a second tight end uh, would make sense. Yeah, that's why or, we're probably opening yeah. it up to pass catchers exactly. because I do think that another tight end would not be a bad thing. Definitely. And I think if you get somebody, you know, uh, obviously tight ends, you get a lot of guys that, that uh, trend more toward big receiver is really what they are. I think that's the type of guy that you would probably look to add, right? The guy that can uh, maybe, you know, you hope that he's not a, a horrendous run blocker by any stretch, but a guy that definitely has more value in the passing game that you can move around a little bit, that can line up out wide and stuff like that. So if you have an opportunity to add another tight end like that, I think that makes sense. Or yeah, of course, uh, uh, if you have another receiver that can come in and be a playmaker for you, I think that's something you have to consider. And when you think about the way that the, the team can be built and when you think about what they can add in free agency, I, I do think they can add a lot in free agency, even though they don't add a lot of high price free agents. And this will be something that I will probably be watching 
the the way the front office works because there is value in adding kind of longer tenured free agents that come in a little bit cheaper and letting them fight out for it. This is basically the Patriots model. And Justice Mosqueda wrote a really interesting article on the Patriots. And basically, he talked about how they have an older roster because they have a lot of those second, third contract players in that mid-tier, players that we would consider tier three players that eventually produce and produce well for the Patriots. When you look at their roster construction, only five players on the Patriots who just, of course, won the Super Bowl. That'd be Tom Brady, Devin McCourty, Gronkowski, Donta Hightower, and Stefan Gilmore have cap hits north of $6 million in 2018. Of course, again, having Tom Brady in there is important. Having, Tom Brady at a discount. Yeah, as well. exactly. Right, yeah. that's important. Having a pass, uh, having a uh, pass defender, Stephon Gilmore, who proved his value in the Super Bowl and who is one of the and who has this year been one of the best defensive uh, courage players in the NFL. That's all super important. Uh, and, and what they did though was instead of paying one or two players a ton of money, they basically increased their chances of hitting on a player by getting a bunch of mid-level vets and letting them compete. It's a different way of building your roster, but it means that the number of mid-level veterans they have is going to be highest in the league. And and Mosqueda defines a mid-level veteran as someone with five or more years of experience. So they're basically at least on that second contract, maybe even on their third. Uh, And so I think that the 49ers don't have a ton of tier three players. They have a couple, that, but they they could stand to add a few and, and have them fight it out. And when I think about defensive back, that's an area where I'd like them to sign, you know, two defensive backs, two corners, maybe vets, and just see what the hell happens. Uh, because if it's not going to be Tarverius Moore and you're not sure about Akella Witherspoon, then you have to bolster that unit somehow. Definitely. I, I, th- I mean, I think they're in a position, right, where there's such uh, a massive hole in terms of defensive talent on that roster that they need... They need impact guys too, right? I think it's tough to replicate what the Patriots have done. You know, I think. Uh, well, I think you, you can't. You you don't want to necessarily be like, oh, this is going to work and this is going to be it. But it 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 basically is the same kind of theory behind getting multiple draft picks, right? You increase your chances by picking more often. Sure. Um, same idea with just a different type of player, right? You're Definitely. signing the the tier three player. You're getting a bunch of them. And if they work out, great. If they don't work out, then you probably sign them to a contract where you can cut them. But you're just increases you're increasing your chances of getting quality players by taking those players in and saying, "Well, there's an efficiency here. Let's see if we can exploit it." Yeah, definitely. And I think is is uh, as far as a free agent strategy in general, I think that's definitely the ba- the way to do it, right? I think uh, hitting this is kind of I think basically what we've talked about. Uh, in free agency, I mean, we've always kind of been proponents of avoiding the big name guys and not giving out those big contracts, especially to, uh, you know, you see some of the names that get tossed out there. And last year it was guys like Ziggy Ansa who wanted to get signed to big money and, and kind of, you know, he dealt with injury this year, but he wasn't very good and he hasn't been very good for most of his career. I think there's a lot of free agents that make it to free agency who aren't very good, right? Because a lot of times the the, the best players are being kept in-house by their own team, right? You're usually not letting your best players walk out into free agency. So I think there there is some risk involved with going after a lot of those high price guys, and you're typically better off just kind of loading up on the mid-tier guys, right? And, and again, hoping that uh, you get one or two of those to hit because that's generally all you need if you're uh, especially in a position like them where you have a good quarterback and you can kind of count on being able to to compete week in week out and go after those playoff spots. Like if you can hit on a handful of, uh, of veterans that can be key players for you, like that's going to be a big thing. I think the 49ers specifically this year, 
they need a little bit of both, right? Like they they need to to kind of probably go after one or two of those high price guys if the right players are available for them to to come in and and they just need something to be able to build this roster around defensively, right? So if you can get it, I think a couple of those guys and then definitely supplement with with some of those mid players. I think that's they, I think this is a, a year where they need to be pretty aggressive in free agency. Agreed. Right? Yeah. Uh, so who will those players be? Don't know yet. We're going to do basically the next couple of weeks uh, a study on which players we think are going to be fits, both based on the expected deal that they will sign, as well as how good they have been. Uh, and so if you listen to the the preview or the free agency previews and the draft previews last year, they will follow a similar format. We're going to target players at different price points, players that we think fit, players that we think may be value, uh, and players that we that we hope the Niners should target. Uh, last year, I feel like we were relatively successful. We identified players like Jarek McKinnon that was eventually signed for way more than we thought he would be. But he was... we were pretty good on our avoid players. Too. Yeah, we were. Um, we were. I on don't the know that players. any of the players that we had to avoid really went and did all that well. Yeah, uh, the, there were a couple players that we thought could do some stuff that ended up not being great. Malcolm Butler, I think, chief among them. Uh, I think. Yeah, he he was probably the biggest miss from last year. He yeah. did not have a good season. Yeah, but overall, that's what we're going to be doing over the next. Uh, few weeks we will be off next week uh, but we will come back the week after with our free agency previews and we'll talk about players we think the Niners should target but I think to, to round out the episode what is your feeling about the roster relative to last year um, about kind of how the team is going into year three of the Shanahan rebuild I probably feel a little bit worse. And I think it mostly revolves around the defense. Where I feel about the offense hasn't really changed since Jimmy came in and did his thing, right? I think that's held pretty steady. And, and I, uh, until proven otherwise, will believe that the offense will be just fine as long as they have Shanahan and Jimmy out there, right? Um, so that part I feel good about. And, and of course, Kittle taking a big step forward and McGlinchey playing well in his rookie year, Brita playing well. Like, I think a lot of positive things happening offensively. Uh, I feel significantly worse about where the defense is at. I think, you know, going into year two, you had a lot of young players that showed promise and you, you know, were hoping you'd be able to get some of those guys to develop and, and kind of, there were players there that you you pointed to that were like, okay, I can see these guys being key pieces on the next good defense, right? I feel much worse about that right now. I, I, I think like defensively, there are very few players that I feel really good about. I mean, it's pretty much DeForest Buckner. I feel pretty good about Fred Warner long-term. Uh, and then, I mean, after that, like, I don't know. You know, I think it's a lot of I don't know. I think there's uh, some, a cornerback is rough, you know, with uh, – Sherman was okay this year, but he's going to, you know, get older. It's unlikely that he's going to get back to kind of that elite level. I think, you know, you look at the rest of the young guys in the secondary just all took a pretty big step back this year. So I, uh, yeah, I think I'm feeling worse on that side of the ball and feeling like, you know, things are, I think, going to be ready offensively. And that's why I'm feeling the kind of need to be a little bit more aggressive in, in really revamping this defense pretty quickly. Yeah, I would say I probably feel not significantly worse, but I'm more concerned with the defensive roster talent than I am than I was the year before, and that and that there are more questions to me is concerning because I think by year three you should have more answers and questions. You you start off year one of the rebuild and you've got a ton of questions: who are we going to keep? Who's going to turn over? Who's gonna, who's good enough to stay? What do we want? And then those unknowns hopefully get 
winnowed down and filtered down so that by year three, you should be kind of hopefully tinkering or you're one or two or key, three key pieces away and maybe that's it. But I feel like we've got way more questions on defense now than we had even last year. Because last year, you think you, you thought you had your linebacker position solidified with Reuben Foster. You thought you had a Kella Witherspoon solidified and maybe you bring in a free agent like Richard Sherman. Um, but now you've got really no no one. And I think it's, you know... Uh the 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 talent evaluation on that side of the ball you're starting to worry about a little bit because you know the one guy that is really good right now defensively they didn't add he was already there right DeForest Buckner was was a player that they inherited so of players that you have added to the roster like which ones are you feeling really great about right now like it's a very short list and I think it might only be Fred Warner right like that's the only guy and and again even Fred Warner's good but he was up and down as a rookie right which you would uh, kind of expect and and he is by no means a sure thing especially you know I think if you're already pegging Fred Warner as a sure thing that you can rely on long term you need to look at the guys that you thought that a year ago right the guys like Witherspoon uh, and, and, you know, I mean, Ruben Foster is a, a little bit of a different case, but, uh, you know, guys like Adrian Colbert, like players that had kind of a, a good short spurt, uh, of play there. You can't already jump to the point where you're, you're banking on those players being, uh, you know, kind of those core pieces that you want them to be. So, uh, I think, yeah, he's still a big question mark. And I think that's the most concerning thing really is, is, the things that they've done defensively from a talent evaluation standpoint, some of the things with playing guys in suboptimal positions and, and using suboptimal rotations and, and all of that kind of piece on defense, I, I think is all very concerning and is like the biggest thing that they need to answer heading into next season. Well, luckily I think some of that stuff's already been addressed. Jeff Zagonia, he gone, uh, Jeff Halfley, he gone. So I think right. you, you yeah, get I mean, better. I think you get yeah. better coaches in there, and and this is the time where you go and you attack those things. This is the time where we're going to see what types of players you can bring in to help bolster that defense. Because if they can get, a, I think, even average play from the defense, yeah. then then all of a sudden things are, are start. They're starting to look good. And I think you know the good thing too is things uh, align. I think a little bit better for them this offseason. I mean, just kind of have only started to get kind of a broad overview of where this free agent class is. Um, is going to be a much stronger edge class, almost certainly, even if some of the big names do end up uh, kind of sticking around with their current teams. I think there's going to be a number of players at safety that can come in and help them. Uh, you know, not as much at corner, but I think uh, there there are more players that are going to be available that can come in and help them out. Whereas last year, you know, everybody wanted edge, 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 and there was no, there was nothing there. It was a shitty draft class. It was a shitty free agent class. Like there weren't many opportunities to go out and upgrade that spot. And just kind of across the board, there wasn't a number of players that were at positions of need that they could really go out and get and improve quickly. So I, I think this lines up a little bit better. And it's, it's yeah, the year you got to go out if you're ready to compete for playoff spots and, and be a, a better team in this league. Like you need to do something about that side of the ball. So that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always find us on the interwebs, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all the places where you get your podcasts. You can always follow me at Twitter. Uh, You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? (laughs) Uh, That'll be at PFF underscore David. Thanks again for tuning in. Remember to tune in for the rest of our free agent previews that will come after next week. Next week we are indeed taking off. So thanks again, as always, for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Go Niners.